Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. It's Matthew 12, 46 through 50. It's on page 861 in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the pew Bible, the New King James Version. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. And while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning and a guest on Friends Day, we're glad that you're here and we welcome you uh, as our friends and we look forward to a wonderful day together. We remind everyone that uh, we'll have worship at the park this afternoon at four o'clock in the Charlie Daniels Park. If you have not picked up a Sunday bulletin, they are in the foyer and there is an insert that will give you information if uh, that if you still have questions about the day, that probably will answer the questions. And then if you have further questions, be sure and ask us. We'd be glad to visit with you about it. It's an exciting time. Uh, the shuttles will begin running from the Mountain Juliet Middle School parking lot at 3 o'clock. They will run all the way until dusk. And so even if during service, if there's something urgent that comes up and you need a ride back to your car, uh, the shuttles will not stop running. There will always be at least one running. And so we're, we will go out every way that we can to make this day a great day for the glory of God. And so we want you to come. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to invite your friends. As you're walking into the park, uh, be sure and invite uh, anybody that you see. We'll have uh, enough seats. We will have uh, enough meal. Uh, We'll have activities for children and teens afterwards. And we would invite everybody in the park uh, to be there. So help us with that. Keep in mind, we do not have the whole park reserved. Uh, so we want to be kind to others that may be in other pavilions and consider uh, them as we will definitely have the majority of the people in the park. We still want to be considerate of others that guest in the park that may have reserved a pavilion and things like that. So let's, let's be good neighbors and, uh, and let's speak a good word for the Lord uh, today as we do every day. When we think about Our theme for the year, immersed. We want to be immersed totally into the will of God. Every aspect of our life, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And when we think about this month's theme, we've been thinking about immersed into fellowship. Fellowship, as we've studied this month, is not an option. Well, if you just happen to have that kind of personality, maybe it's something you want to consider. It's a part of the work of the Lord. I need to understand, fellowship is a part of the work of the Lord. In other words, when they continued, Acts 2 and 42, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, it wasn't that three out of the four of those would be fine or you pick and choose which of the four that you like. We need to remain faithful in the doctrine. We need to remain faithful in fellowship. So then that, that brings us to a very important observation. 
Let's say that someone, a friend this morning is here because they really do have a hunger to learn more about God. Hopefully all of us are here this morning because we want to worship God. We want to pour out our adoration to God. Where would you take someone if they said, I want to learn more about God? Where would you take them? To work with you? A rock concert? A football game? Invite them over to your house for pizza? Where where would you take someone if they want to learn more about God? You know, the most frequent place that individuals take individuals that want to learn about God? To an assembly of the church. Now, that may just seem like a given, but for just a moment, don't think of it as a given. Why? If somebody wants to learn more about God, why why don't they go other places? Or if they want to learn more about God, why do they come to the church? And if we find the answer to that, we might find a responsibility that we, as the church, that we have. We have the responsibility to be a reflection of God in our fellowship with each other and with others. True or false, the church is an institution. True, it is. The Lord instituted the church. It's not a man-made institution. It's God-ordained. True or false, the church has has organizational uh, characteristics about it. Absolutely. True. So is is the church supposed to be just a cold institution that you think of tile floors, long hallways, white walls, and, and cold? No. Is the church just an organization? In other words, if, if you'll just cross the T's and dot the I's and make sure that everything is organization, or organizationally uh, sound, exactly what God would want it to be, that's, that's all we've got to do is just make sure that we follow an organizational pattern. Is that all there is to the church? There is a word that I can say, and there would be very few exceptions to what I'm about to say. Everybody in this room would either have a real, warm, and positive thought when you hear this word. Or if you don't have a warm and positive thought, you will have regrets that go back into your history that you will probably say, I wish I would have had a warm and a positive thought when I hear those words. And and I don't say that lightly. I know that that's a, a real heartbreak for a lot of people. But I just want to show you how important this word is. Family. For some of you, that word is one of the most beautiful words in your language. And for others of you, you wanted it to be beautiful. You wanted it to bring back good and warm memories. And and so you have regrets. And they may not even be regrets that, that you could do anything about. But I'm just showing you, do you see how powerful the word family is? Now think about the ways that that God introduces to us, helps us understand what we are to be in His church. He doesn't just speak about a cold institution. He doesn't just speak about proper organization. But over and over, He uses words that are family words. He talks about a father. He talks about us becoming His children. He talks about us being born again. As a matter of fact, the text that was so capably read. Did you notice there in Matthew, the 12th chapter, why would Jesus do what he is doing at this very moment? He's teaching his disciples and one of the disciples comes up to him and and says, hey, your mother and your brothers, they've come to see you. They're looking for you right now. 
Now we know that Jesus is eventually going to to tell them, hey, I I need to go see my, my mother and my brothers. Eventually he's going to get to that. But why did he take this opportunity as a teaching experience? Did you notice what he did? Instead of saying, hey, I'll be back in just, in just a minute. Let me go check with my mother and my brother. He, he uses this as a powerful time. Look what he says to that person in 48. But he answered and he said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Isn't that powerful? Jesus says, I want to show you a characteristic of my disciples. They're they're starting to follow him. He's trying to help them understand what are they to become. Are they to become uh, just mindless, brainwashed followers? No, he constantly is demanding them to learn and to be active in their mind with what they learn. Is he asking them to be emotional beings? No, he's asking them to love. The first and greatest commandment is to love God. The second is like unto it, love the neighbor as thyself. He is wanting them to realize, I'm inviting you into a family. And he says, you know, my father has many children. Whoever does his will becomes his child. And he says, you know who those people are? Those people become my family. He's the elder brother. They become my brothers and sisters. John would introduce the gospel of John. Be looking there if you want in John 1. We'll look at two passages out of there. John would introduce Jesus Christ in many wonderful ways in the first several paragraphs of John, the first chapter. I want to show you one thing that he would say that Jesus brings to us about being the oppor- giving us the opportunity to be in the family of God. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. That's John 1 and 12. Notice that. He gave the right to become what? A part of an institution. He gave the right to become a part of an organization. No, it says here, he chose words to help us properly understand it. And please understand, I'm not belittling it when I talk about an institution or an organization. I'm simply saying that there is a characteristic about this that he defines over and over and over. And that characteristic is children of God. Let's be family with the Father. And so he continues here. In 12, he says, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's not, do you just happen to be of the right nationality? Do you just happen to have the right last name? Do you happen to be born on the right continent? It's not that at all. It's not your flesh. It's not your will. It's whether or not you are born of God. And John, the third chapter, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at a nighttime visit. And he wants to know more about Jesus because he believes Jesus is from God. And of course, Nicodemus wants one day to live with God. Ultimately, that's what God's family is all about. We want to be close to God as we can be on this earth because we want to live close to him for an eternity. And so Jesus tries to clarify some things for him in John, the third chapter and verse three. And notice what Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot 
enter the kingdom of God. You want to become a part of the family of God? Jesus says, let me tell you, that's why I've come to earth. A lot of times people say their favorite verse in the Bible is John 3 and verse 16. You see, he's building up to that. In other words, that's why God gave His Son. He loved the world so much. That's why I'm here. Now, what do we need to know? If we want to be a part of God's family, He says we're going to have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. The day the church began, Acts the second chapter, individuals cried out, what must we do to be saved? Because they believed that Jesus was the Savior, but they knew that they had never been saved. And so they cried out, what shall we do to be saved? And they were told, now think about this, we're leaving this where he says, be born of the water and of the Spirit. They were told to repent and be baptized. There's your water. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, uh, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we have there? The gift of the Spirit. Born of the water, born of the Spirit. What happened? In Acts 2 and 41, it tells us that all those that gladly received that word that day, that they were added unto them. Added to whom? The fellowship. Who's the fellowship? That's the saved. That's the kingdom of heaven on this earth. That's the church. Who are they? They are the children of God. They are the brothers and sisters of Of Jesus Christ. So if someone wants to learn about God, where's a good place to take them? Take them around the family of God. It's not because God's family is perfect on this earth, because we aren't. We're imperfect beings, but we are forgiven. And we are to have characteristics that every day of our life are growing to be more like the Lord than what we were last week and the month before that and the year before that. And so when we think, okay, what are some characteristics that God's family has? I'd like for us to spend just the last few minutes that we have in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Look at Matthew, the 18th chapter. We have Jesus giving us a powerful teaching here of how we're to interact with each other. And of course, it begins with one of our weaknesses as mankind, human beings. In the 18th chapter in verse 1, we see at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're aware of the fact that the Lord has come to establish a kingdom. They're probably still thinking this kingdom is going to be physical. They don't understand that this kingdom is spiritual, that it's eternal. And so they're wanting preeminence. They're wanting, hey, if Jesus is going to be the king, who's going to be on his right side? Who's going to be on his left side? I wonder who could be the greatest in the kingdom. And he does something that is probably not going to be a surprise to many of us here because we've read this before. But I assure you, if we'd have been standing there that day, it would have probably been a surprise to us. Somebody walks into Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and, and, and let's say they're world-renowned, and, and they, they're here, and they're here to, to meet the most important person in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Everybody scouring around to find the most important person in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Who are we going to find? What's our standard going to be? As, as a human being, as from our fleshly nature, I'm not talking about from the side of Christianity, because we have a better scope on things, not because of our wisdom, because of God's wisdom. But just upon our wisdom, where, where would we look? 
Maybe we need to find a mayor. Maybe we need to find somebody that's, that's served higher up in government at, at other times. Maybe we need to see who has the past successes. Maybe we need to see who's the wealthiest. Maybe we need to see who's the highest educated. What, what would we do to say, that's the person that is really the greatest in Mount Juliet? And you know probably what Jesus does. You see there in verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him and he set him in the midst of them. And he said, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child, the greatest uh, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what's a characteristic of God's family? God's family is made up of people that share in humble relationships. In God's family, if His family is doing it God's way, there's not anybody that believes they're more important than anybody else. And everybody believes that others are more important than them. Where else could you find anything like that? There's not an organization or an institution on this earth that would experience that, the closest would be probably some physical families. But isn't that interesting? You would have to say the exception might be a physical family and the Lord is saying, let me introduce you to my family, a spiritual family. Philippians, the second chapter, reminds us of how important it is to exalt others even greater than ourselves. And then he uses the example of Jesus Christ who left heaven to come to this earth. And he humbled himself to be a servant all the way till death. And he gives us that teaching as an example to say that's the way we're supposed to view each other. Would we serve each other? Would we serve each other all the way till death? Will we have that kind of humble relationship? Well, he continues about that kind of humble relationship. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7 as we think about another characteristic. As he says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. It's interesting here how he lays out just kind of opposites, and it's not really what we would naturally think of as opposites, but when we learn from God, God teaches us that these are opposites. So what is it? On one extreme, there is, will you receive others? Will you receive a child? And he says, if you will do that, thinking the child being the least of these, if you will receive the very least of these, he says, you receive me. Remember Matthew, the 25th chapter, that very same teaching when Jesus says, you give me food, you give me water, you, you have taken me in as a stranger, you visited me when I was in prison. And, and he talks about these characteristics and, and the individuals that are his children, they say, Lord, we never saw you in those conditions. We don't think we ever did that for you. And Jesus said, when you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so now Jesus is giving the very same teaching here just a little bit earlier than that time period. And what is he saying? He's saying, if we're going to have that humble heart, we're going to have to receive others. You remember at the beginning of this month, I said, you know, some of us will be challenged in this study of fellowship and others of us will just reinforced in what we're doing. Let's be honest this morning. 
Are we really receiving our brothers and sisters? Or is this one of those areas that we need to hear Jesus' words where he says, be converted. Converted means 180 degree turn. In other words, they were headed down a path that was conceited and arrogant. They really thought they were more important than some others. And so he says, you need to repent of that and you need to come back. And then when they came back, he followed up with the teaching. Here's what you do when you come back. With humility, you receive the least of these, my brethren. In football, there is a position we call receiver. Now, cornerback that plays defense, it's not his place to catch the ball. All he has to do is make contact with the ball and bat it away. And when he bats it away, it's declared success. Isn't that interesting? One makes contact with the ball with no possession, and he's successful. But if the receiver makes contact, but no possession, he's failed. What's the Lord demand? Let's just walk up and down the aisle and let's smile at people and and let's get their name and let's greet them. And then let's go to our houses and we'll see them on Wednesday night. We might see them again next Sunday. And, And I tell you what, oh, there's a lot of good people there. Oh, yeah. And what do we do? We're making contact. We're making contact. And we didn't join this family to be on defense. We joined this family, according to the Lord, to receive. To bring them in as ours. Whose life in our fellowship is different because you've received them? And if you honestly don't know of anybody in the Lord's fellowship that is different because you've received them, it may be because we haven't received anybody. Jesus says, if you receive me, you receive, if you've received the least of these, you've received me. But now we said it was extremes. There's an opposite. The opposite is... Do we offend others? Are we a stumbling block that has caused someone else to sin? And he says, now, if that's the case of what has happened, it'd be like tying a millstone around your neck. And if you don't know what a millstone is, it was a stone in their day that they used as a tool. It would probably weigh a uh, hundred to two hundred pounds, depending on the size of the millstone, and there were some millstones that were huge that a, that an animal pulled about. But but maybe he's just talking about a two hundred pound millstone that that would grind wheat and and corn into meal. And he says he says if we're not going to receive, here's the opposite of that: we cause someone to stumble, we cause them to sin, even if it's the least of these. We cause them to sin. And he said, imagine tying a millstone around your neck. And imagine you being thrown into a deep river. And everybody knows that nobody can swim with a millstone around their neck. Isn't this powerful? And Jesus says, if that's all that happened to you, it would be better than what you're going to get in eternity. 
He said, he literally said it. He said, your condition would be better with a millstone around your neck on the bottom of the river than what you're going to get if you don't understand the importance of fellowship. How foolish would it be to say, I'm a part of the family of God and I'm awake roughly 120 hours a week and I know many of us are awake a few more hours than that. That's on an eight-hour night's sleep. But, so let's just run with that. I'm, I'm awake 112 hours a week. 112 hours a week. And we assemble together roughly four of those hours. So about 97% of our time is not in the assembly. So then the question is, What am I doing for the other 97% of the time to be family? What am I doing the rest of the time to receive and to serve one another? What am I doing with the other 97% of the time to build each other up? And I know, I think I know, the challenge that we have of saying, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to keep the bills paid. I'm just trying to make sure that all the bases are covered every day of the week. I'm, and I don't know how I can do more. This morning, I can honestly tell you, I don't know all the answers to this. But I know this. Each one of us will find a life worth living when we find a faithful place in the family of God. God's family is not defined solely through an assembly. Yes, it's important that we assemble and that we worship and that we study together. But the teachings of the family go far beyond that. As a matter of fact, later in this same chapter, he says, a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray up in the mountain. What is he going to do? You know that story. He's going to leave the 90 and 9 and he's going to go into the mountain. He's going to search until he finds it. And when he finds it, he's going to rejoice. Why? Because he's found family. That's the illustration here. How does it rip your heart out when you see parents on the news begging for abducted child to be returned home? Doesn't that just turn you inside out? How does it make us feel when we have our family around us that one of them's hurting? The Lord says, I want you to weep with those that weep. How does it make you feel when one is rejoicing? He says, I want you to rejoice with those that rejoice. Are those just, are those just mechanical commands? No. Those are natural responses that families give to each other. But we extend the invitation this morning by looking down verse 21 and 22. Peter came to him and he said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. 
And then he gives quite a teaching on the need to forgive. And we'll just read the concluding remark in 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. When we think about how difficult it is to forgive someone that's hurt us, this passage may seem like a mountain to climb. Because in this passage he says... I don't not just ask you to forgive once. I'm asking you to give repetitively. Because after all, what does God do for you? You've sinned. And if this morning you're saved, you've been forgiven. But how many times have you sinned since the first time you asked God's forgiveness? How many times have, have you sinned since you were baptized into Christ and your sins were forgiven? And all of us would have to say, more than what I'd like to admit. And then the Lord says, now you remember, as I forgive you over and over and over, you have that same kind of heart that is willing to forgive your brother, your sister, over and over and over. Why? Perhaps we could answer it like I've heard some of you, and I've heard many in my years of ministry. I've heard it said to me, And in my presence, it usually goes something like this. There's a family member that's needed care for several months or several years. And the family rallies around and they offer all the support and the help that that individual and their family needed. And when that individual is well or when that individual is deceased, how many times have we heard someone say to that family or to that a particular family member and they say, you know, you are a wonderful example to us of how to serve one another. And that person looks up and says, that's what families do. I realize not all families do, but that is how godly families do. And that's how God's family does. And so we receive one another. Why? Because that's what God's family does. We care genuinely for one another. Why? That's what God's family does. We forgive one another. Why? Because that's what God's family does. It's not because we would figure that out on our own, but it's because God has taught us and we carry those traits and attributes of our Lord. Now, where would you bring someone to learn about God? Listen, if somebody sits in our midst and they don't see God better, It's shame on us. Because if there's anywhere in our community that people ought to see God, it ought to be among God's people. I'm thankful that you have that reputation. I'm thankful to go in the community and hear good said about this congregation. But I also believe that every one of us could receive others a little better. Care for each other a little better. Just be a little better at being family. This morning, I think about a book that was written a few years ago. And he entitled, the guy, the author entitled the book, 
Stop dating the church. Stop dating the church. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, that's all some people want to do is date God. Date the church. But you know, a date's pretty cool. That's where, that's where you drop by on Sunday morning and you pick up your date and you spend some time with her and then you drop her off in Sunday afternoon the rest of the week's yours. And some people have a hard time saying, I kind of like just the religious part of it. I don't know if I really want to make this my life. I don't know if I really want to make this my family. But then there's the other side of you that you know it's best. You know that it's the best life that you could ever have. This morning, if you're tired of dating the Lord and you want to be fully committed to Him, why not do that? Why not be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way, you've left Him. Why not come back to Him and be restored? Let's be family. Let's do more than make contact with each other. Let's truly, truly receive each other. If we can help you.